Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World today. We have a special guest who was here before as well, Rajat Weiss. Uh, welcome to Arash's World again. Great Yay! Hey, Arash. So, um, nice, uh, nice to be here. Rajya Gleis is an ex Budafield cult member. She was part of the Budafield cult and she wrote, she's also author of The Followers, her book, uh, which talks about her experiences there. And this book has been awarded first place, first place in the 2021 Pencraft Book Awards. So congrats to that. Well done. Yay! Good job. And Arash, it's uh, until next Monday, it's on sale. So it's it's uh, on sale on Amazon for Christmas. So it makes a good Christmas gift. Wonderful, that's great. And so one of the reasons I, I wanted to um, have Radhya back here on, on, on this show here is because I recently watched uh, the uh, Netflix um, documentary, Colonia Dignidad. It's called A Sinister Sect, Colonia Dignidad and was made uh, this year. And it was shocking to find out about this sect in, in Chile and what was going on. And um, I, I was shocked. So I wanted to find out what is happening there. Why do people go through this? Why do people accept it and so on? And I just thought the best person to ask is Radia. So let's get started. What are your impressions uh, uh, of, of this, this sect? And that's really coming to open just recently, thanks to the documentary, I think. Yeah, I, I watched as much as I could stand of that. It's a series. So, you know, it's, it was kind of long and complex. But, you know, I think that the key takeaways that were that I was observing was, you know, first of all, you've got a malignant narcissist as a leader. And that seems to be the signature of most cults. Now there's, you know, there's cults in different degrees. That one certainly was a lot larger. It was a lot more political, um, you know, than mine. But I will say that there's commonalities, no matter how big or how small the, uh, the group is. My group was only 150. Um, you know, this group was much larger. They seem to be with each other for a long time like us, you know, and they did create a world that typically like us, they didn't know what they were getting into. Um, you know, they were fleeing from their own troubles, from their own country. And they were kind of promised the promised land. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> so typically what a, a, a malignant narcissist, what a cult leader will do is they'll entice you with whatever you're looking for. You know, in my case, and I go into this at length in my book, um, at the particular time when I got involved in the Buddha field, I mean, I, I've said this to you before, nobody wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I'm gonna join a cult, right? It, it creeps up on you <laughs> when you don't even know it. And once, once you begin to start to suspect like these people, you're trapped for a lot of reasons. In our case, we weren't trapped like they were, they were, really, really sequestered in a foreign country that they didn't have the language, they didn't have the customs, they didn't have anything, right? We didn't have that. So ours was a different kind of imprisonment. Ours was a psychological imprisonment more than anything. We could have left, we could have walked out, you know. The psychological consequences of that um, are complex, which I talk about a lot in the book. And so I can relate with this, I can relate to this group because psychologically, they had no place to go back to, first of all. Um, they, they, they came with, um, with the idea that, you know, they, hang on, somebody, Somebody is calling me. Um, they came with the idea that this was going to be the 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 promise that they were all looking for. And, and just our group, 
Yeah, Just put ahead. that into context, so and for for people who are not aware of this, so the the cult leader is Paul Schaefer, who was um, a Nazi, and so these were immigrant Nazis who were uh, German Nazis, who went to um, to Chile to create their own version of, um, and he was he saw himself as a religious person, as as you're saying, you're using religion uh, as as a tool to to gather people together. Um, when he was in Germany, he was they found out that um, he was a pedophile. So and he was kicked out from his community. So he ended up going to Chile and uh, creating his own um, his own sector. Uh, he had the members build the whole thing the whole, it's, it's called the Bavaria village in Chile in a remote area. And what I was surprised to find out actually is that he was influenced by the teaching of the teachings of an American Christian, uh, William Branham, who's a faith healer and who had uh, a strong influence on televangelism, who was an influence in that too. So we can see that the use of religion by a narcissist, malignant narcissist, as you're saying, to create, um, I don't know, create control over others and uh, brainwashing them and making them think that he is special. He's a shepherd because the word Schäfer in German means shepherd, that he was the shepherd to guide them toward uh, the promised land and the afterlife and all that. So when you look at that, that creates uh, um, very strange dynamics and people were following him both partly because they were displaced, like you're saying, but also because they saw him as a, as a faith healer, as a true leader, as a, a representative of their faith. And uh, that creates a lot of problems. Well, sure. And especially when, I mean, most people, it's really interesting. Most people have these high ideals that join these groups. They're not, you know, I mean, yeah, there's clubs, and then there's cults. And cults are usually surrounding much higher ideals than just having fun or whatever. And in our case, uh, we were looking for um, God realization. And so as you say, usually they're surrounded by some religious kind of doctrine. And we, we were looking to, um, have direct union with God, these people, and he, the difference between my leader and this guy was, he was a shepherd of God. My leader was God, okay? He, after a while, now in the beginning he didn't, but, but as his narcissism grew and as we fed it, um, he started to see himself as a Buddha or a Krishna or a Jesus, that's, you know, really what he started to see himself is. Now, this other guy in that film, I'm sure in his mind, thought of himself that way, but he portrayed himself as the shepherd um, and that God was still out here somewhere, where in our group, God isn't out here. God is in here, right? Any way you spin it, <laughs> right, um, you, you, it's a trap because God is so nebulous, so ethereal, you cannot define it. So you can't particularly argue, you know, because how do you know? You can't prove it. Um, so that's always enticing. And, and uh, you know, with a, with a malignant narcissist, they all think that they're God in some way. They think that they are so much more above anybody else. That's some of the characteristics of a narcissist. And they need their followers. That's why the name of my book is The Followers. They need the followers to create them. You know, they'll create an outline and then the followers fill it in, you know, as we did. And I hate to say it, but we created a monster. You know, this guy would have never gotten off the ground, just like my group never would have, if he didn't have followers, if he didn't have people to build that. And we built One World Theater. We built a lot of things. Um, we built a, you know, a little mini utopia in his, on his property. Uh, we did that. And we considered that service, selfless service. So as part of the spiritual practice, which this guy convinced them 
that what they were building and what they were doing was part of the spiritual practice. So when you when your goal is whatever it is on a spiritual level, and that's part of the path, then you don't question it. You do it, you know, and you really don't question it because, you know, if you do, then you're either going against God, you know, or in this case, with the teachings of, of my teacher, whatever he was, um, he was all about transcending the ego. Well, that's handy. So, you know, anytime you had a question or questioned anything he may say or do, he would just come back with saying, that's just your ego. Drop your mind. It's and if that, he would yeah. say he would be the voice of God. And he say, well, that's your opinion. But this is not what God wants. And uh, that's right. No. And so what, one thing that was shocking, too, is like um, that he would he would control their lives. Like he would decide. And actually, men and women are supposed to be separate. And if there were kids involved, they would freely and they would freely give away their kids and he would take care of them under like supervision of an aunt, so-called aunt. Yeah. And they could never tell the kids, this is horrible. They could never tell the kids that they're the parents. And so, but they went along. And this is what I find so shocking if somebody who has not experienced this, who's not been in this situation, how and why do they go along? Is there not a point where you say, this is my child, I will not give away my child, or my child is suffering, and there was sexual abuse against these children. And um, is there not a point where you, there's like this, this kind of doubt in your head, and you say, uh, this can't be right? Well, you know, it's funny you should bring that up, Barash, because I was talking to a really good friend of mine, one of my best friends, who was in the Buddha field, and we were talking about a friend of ours who was in the Buddha field, who will not talk to her. He thinks that she is, you know, a demon because he gave up his kid when he was young. The kid was, uh, I think he was like three or four. And this guy basically gave him up, sent him back to his mother and never saw him for like 20 years. And now he blames his friends. Doesn't blame the leader, doesn't seem to be, but, you know, he blames his friends. Now, we didn't have, like in our group, nobody was having children. So that's kind of another thing. Like, it's it's horrible in, in that film that you were talking about, where they literally took their already birthed, already existing children and basically gave them up. Definitely. But, but that's we, what the Nazis would do with, with children too. They'd say, we'll take over, we'll, we'll educate them, we'll prepare yes. them. And, and yes. basically that's their idea of family. It's the, the state, yes. the government. Yes. And that is very I, scary. That. It, it, it is. And you know, so it goes back to cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. It goes back, cognitive dissonance is, what, is what's happening in this country right now. Um, the denial the gaslighting and then the going along with is stunning on so many levels, you know? So a clever narcissist will make sense to the follower. They'll make sense. It's like, who can raise these children better than I, better than I, a, an emissary of God, right? And if you believe that, then, you know, part of it is tearing you down and building them up. So if they can tear your self-esteem and who you are and your identity down enough, then you're gonna willfully give it to the better man, right? Because you'll believe that you are not a good enough parent to raise your children. So you think you are literally doing the best thing for them. And that's how the narcissist does it. They manipulate your self-esteem, they spend, um, you know, I write in my, my book and, and people, and when I'm interviewed, they say, well, you know, I'm really confused, Radia. You know, you just don't seem stupid to me. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I'm neither stupid nor uneducated. And on certain levels, I'm far more educated than my teacher was. So how is it that I or anybody else could fall for this bullshit? It depends on what you want.
And it depends on the, the, these guys are cons, they're con artists. And I, I've said this before, I mean, those who remember who Bernie Madoff is, you think all those people he scammed were idiots, were fools, were, I mean, they might've been fools, but they weren't stupid and they weren't uneducated. So that's, that's the trick of the con. And some of the best people in the world get conned all the time. We're being conned right now in this country. You know, and, and what do you do when the powers that be surrounding, and I, I talk about this where whether, regardless of what the group is or how big or how small, there's always a hierarchy. So there's always the leader at the top, and then there's that first tier. And usually that first tier could be the Senate or be considered in that stratosphere like with us it was the elders but in that first tier it was his immediate entourage and then below that was the initiates that would be the congress right and below that was the aspirants and the newbies and those are all power dynamics and the leaders believe me he sets up and manipulates those power dynamics so what he does is he feeds into your own narcissism to capture you Right. So that first tier in in my uh, group, they knew exactly what he was doing behind closed doors. Some of them were participating behind closed doors. His shenanigans and his parlor tricks and all of that. He couldn't do that by himself. So that first tier basically knew everything. But they believed and he convinced them that they had to do this because it was it was right for these people because that's what they needed. So that cognitive dissonance came in and they overrode what they knew. So then the next tier comes down and the next tier are, you know, with the initiates, there were only 40 initiates in the 150 and he stopped initiating for 18 years. So just by the, the nature of the beast, you became special, you did. And so there's power in that specialness because the people under you revere you. I'm an initiate. So that means I am in, in our particular practice, I'm experiencing meditation that you're longing for and I have it. So therefore I'm one up from the closest connection to God, or in his case, the lamb of God, the shepherd, right? So, so they breed this, their own narcissism from it, and their own power structure from it. And that's it's how it happens. It's very interesting, because when we look at it, a lot of like the military kind of has a similar structure. Absolutely. Where if you look at the church, the Catholic church, especially, but if you even look at companies, they have that structure. And so basically, if you fall in line with that, you Absolutely. get to, to the higher position and you work your way up. You know, you start in, in your fast food restaurant and Absolutely. then depending on whether you, you pass through the hoops and they accept you, you will be promoted. So that that's 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 kind of interesting of that, how we 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 allow this kind of structure and, and we see it as as is quite normal. Um, it's it's no, it's normal and it's powerful. Mm -hmm. It's it's powerful. I you know I I think I mentioned to you last time that I'm working on a, a book, uh, another book, and it's entitled um, "Harder to Fall," mm -hmm. and it's about the addiction of power and money, and it's about once you get up there, it's harder to fall. So you you end up compromising in many cases your soul your mind, your heart, your soul, your morality, because, and, and it's what's happening today. And, and I, I understand it, I really understand it. Um, when you, I mean, I came, I, I mentioned this in my book, I came from a very affluent background, right? When you have a taste of that and you lose it, you never wanna lose it. Because in our society, if you go from a cardboard box to an apartment, that's a plus. That's a, that's a win. That's a success. That's a positive. 
But if you go from a mansion to a condo, that's a loss. That's a negative. And our society sees it as a negative. So our society reinforces these structures. So the higher you go, the harder it is to fall. Because if you were raised with billions and you, you were absolutely raised with, you know, all this attention and all of this, you never had to lift a finger in your life and you grew up in mansions or whatever, and you fall, you never want that. Why? Because you know what it feels like to not be down there, right? But the person who's in the cardboard box, they don't know that, right? So anything is up from there. So our, our structure teaches negative and positive. And so when you get, and when, you're, when you've got those narcissistic tendencies and then they're developed, and they're developed you, nine times out of 10 or more than that, they're developed usually from trauma, early trauma, where their self-esteem and their personal image of themselves has been so abused for their own sex abuse, et cetera, et cetera, then in order to feel any kind of power, they must subjugate, they must victimize in order to feed their own self-worth because they have none. Well, you know, it was fractured. That, gets, that gets rewarded whether you look at, at uh, as, uh, businesses and so on, or even presidency, which was not an issue as much in the past than we've recently had uh, absolutely so we see that that is something that brings in success which is kind of reinforcing it it's kind of the feedback that gives them okay well i must be doing right because i am becoming the president of one of the, right. one of the most powerful nation in the world so yes and and i think the, what i'm scared of this is that others see well if 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 it's possible if he can do it i can do it too so it's kind of like paving the way for for people with this kind of tendency with this kind of way of thinking to 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 step into like politics or or any parts of life exactly i mean i i mean trump was such an example of how anyone can do this um that you know i even thought when i was watching him as president i'm like going i could do a better job than that right you know anyone could you know um but the thing is, is that when you when you see when you get a taste of that power, and again, I I, I really go into this this authoritarian kind of leadership. And I go into the history of authoritarians in our history, and the, the interesting thing about the United States, about America, as opposed to European or Asian dictators is very often, and I think in this case, in this film, um, they're looking for a paternal figure. <laughs> um, you know, so they're looking for somebody that, that can take care of them, a daddy figure. The, the interesting thing is Adorno pointed out that American demagogues are slightly different because we're, yes, there is this element, and especially with the female voters of someone like Trump, they're looking for a daddy figure. But interesting, in America, it is more that they are looking uh, at a perceived projection of themselves, very similar to a kitten looking in a mirror and seeing a lion. And so Trump is that demigod face that they want to feel that they are, you know? <clears throat> so when he starts speaking on their terms, which he does very well, they identify with him. Yeah, he's a tough guy, you know, and he vomits out all of his stuff and people go, yeah, that's me. You know, that's why they can do what they did on January 6th. What, what I found interesting, I heard that there was this comparison between wrestling and his style of, uh, of, of promoting himself. And it's it's basically the yeah. same thing, same mentality. Totally. But we don't see it in like, let's say, as a doctor, as a surgeon, you need to have the skills as an educator, as a teacher, you need to have the skills to to move up. Whereas in politics, it doesn't seem to matter that you have you have any skills or not. It just Look at Bobert. Bobert doesn't even have a high school degree, oh God. for God's sakes. I mean, you don't need to be qualified at all to run an entire world, which is basically what America was at one point. You don't need anything, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's the tricky thing 
although a lot of our members of government are groomed as a, at an early age to do what they do. But you know darn well that, that most of the, the thinking members of Senate, and I'm not talking about Jim Jordans and the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the, those idiots, they don't, they don't have cognitive function at all. But the ones that do, the ones that have been there for a long time and they are skilled at what they do as, as politicians, they will talk behind Trump's back and they think he's an absolute idiot. So why would they go down to Mar-a-Lago and kiss the ring? Because they're not stupid. Because they know that as long as they play that party, then that keeps them in power. Benefits them. And so, so, so they're, what, they're willing to literally sell their soul to the devil. We, we've seen in the documentary, we see people who stand up and uh, it's just a few, usually maybe one or two, but they say like, this is not right. I'm not accepting it. This is not okay. But then it's surprising and shocking again, or maybe not surprising, maybe you can share your, your insight into this, that not many follow him. And in fact, what they do is they turn against the people who are standing up and they, um, and, and the, there's actually a movie called The Colonia, which was made in 2015. And it shows how this one person is standing up and they start um, beating him up and everybody joins and it's like taking turns and then they do the same to a woman. So there is actually no difference there. There's no respect for, for women yeah. at all in, in, in this cult. And um, yeah. why do people not stop because here you have an example and you can just say wait a minute this person is right let's join him or her again in that case yeah and but we don't a lot of people don't well, same thing with yeah. what you're saying we do have a few who stand up and it's not the entire party we have to make right. sure it's not the entire republican party there are some who are opposing it but then the others are not joining them and you know right jumping on the bandwagon and creating a movement there yeah yeah it is a total Lord of the Flies kind of yeah. scenario, you know, and I use that example a lot in my book. But I'll tell you, you know, people have asked me as far as my viewpoint on what's happening in this country and do I have a lot of hope for it? And um, my short answer is no. It took me 25 years to figure it out. But here's the thing. I said, um, you know, in the third section of my book, I talk about unless you're a sociopath, there's always that line in the sand that you will not cross, right? Although Martha Stout, PhD, who wrote The Sociopath Next Door, uh, believes that one out of 25 Americans are sociopaths. In other words, they do not empathize. They do not feel other people. So that, that's a problem right there. And when you look at that percentage, then we can see who in this country might be along those lines. But my point is, is that if you're not a sociopath, there is that line that you finally say, all right, enough, you know, enough. But here's, here's the complexities of that. And people say, well, do you have any hope for our country? And I'll tell you how it happened in the Buddha field, um, how it was literally torn down in a matter of days in Austin. And it started with me, actually, it started with me and a very small handful of, um, we were, I was an initiate, I was an elder. Okay. So I'm up in that top tier. And I hate to say it, but I, I was a member of the Senate, you know, very much like Liz Cheney or, you know, um, you know, Kainsager or, you know, a few of those guys, Mitt Romney, etc. But what happened was I was already for a long time, I was sick and tired of him. I couldn't leave because as you said, anyone who left before us, it was a Lord of the Flies moment. And you knew that you would be demonized. You would be torn apart, basically. Now, it wasn't as savage as some of other cults, but it was bad. It was bad. All your friends, you knew you were going to be their enemy in, in a matter of a minute, right? So it's not that easy to just say, eh, I'm out, you know. You, it, it takes a tremendous amount of courage, number one, and it takes a, a place to fall 
when you go. And I didn't have it. I didn't have a place to fall. My family was dead. My brother disowned me. There was I was there for 25 years. There was no one on the outside. So I knew that I was going into the desert and I was be demonized and I would be ostracized and I would lose everything. And everything I feared happened. It did. But what happened was um, there was we didn't know what was going on really behind closed doors. We suspected it, but we really didn't know. And there was a guy, um, a young, good-looking man, My, as opposed to a pedophile, um, he didn't allow children for probably that reason, because he probably would have taken advantage of them and it would have been a legal risk to him. So he just, you know, sexually abused the men. Right. But they were all over, except for early on, there was a few underage guys that uh, that he did. But anyway, we didn't know this. None of us knew this. So, like I said, he's up top. And that first tier are people that are giving him a blowjob every week. Right. They know what's going on. And in, in the film, Holy Hell, which is the documentary about my group, there's this, you know, Will Allen, who is a very dear friend of mine, I brought him to the Buddha field and he was 20, 21 years old. He's now 57, right? And he's the filmmaker. And there's this scene where I'm, looks like I'm talking into the camera, but I'm talking to him. He's behind the camera. And he had interviewed me for like four and a half hours. So you're seeing little snippets of out of these interviews, but I'm looking at him and I, I was, I said, I did not know. And what I was saying to him is you lied to me, not just him, but you lied all of these years. And if I had known, I would have stopped it. Now, I like to say that I really don't know if I would have, but depends on the circumstances, which that's hypothetical. But I said, I was pissed because we did not find out the abuse. I didn't know some of those stories that are in the movie, Holy Hell, until Holy Hell came out, which was 10 years after I left. Right. So we did not know what was going on. So it wasn't where the elders could take any kind of responsibility. So what happened was there was a young man who he tried to, um, uh, he tried to seduce in his hypnotherapy and the guy was heterosexual. And he was, wasn't having anything. He was not having any of it. And so he said, I'm out, bye-bye. And he left, he walked out the door. And what happened was, is that as soon as he did, Jaime got on the phone to all of his friends and tried to subterfuge the situation, tried to make him look like he was the bad guy who was coming on to your master, your pure he, he used to say he's celibate. He, oh, he's celibate, right? Yeah, he's celibate on maybe Friday nights, you know, but he was sodomizing everybody every other time of the week, right? But he would say, you know, he would call up all of this guy's friends and say, you know, he's in love with me. I just want to tell you, he may tell you some stories because he's angry that I refused him which is completely the reverse, it is a Donald Trump playbook, right? Denial, denial, and accuse, accuse. So when I found this out, um, I found this out through a friend of mine who was, uh, this young man was working for her. And I, she was traumatized by it. And I went over to her house to find out what the story was. And she starts telling me, and I said, now, this is interesting. He was in the room and he was an aspirant. I'm an elder. We don't have this kind of conversation in front of an aspirant. Okay. So this would have been a secret conversation because the elders don't talk about anything bad in front of the aspirants or the newbies. Right. But he was standing there. So I finally said to her, I said, should he be here? And he looked at me and said, they're talking about me. And I went, okay, tell me what happened. And so he tells me the whole story. So this is straight from the horse's mouth. At this point, I, I, this was my line in the sand. 
And it was interesting. My line in the sand wasn't his sexual antics. My line in the sand was him going against this guy, turning against him and lying about it. That was my line in the sand. You son of a bitch. You couldn't even take responsibility for your own little perversion, right? Because he was an adult and he handled it. So I would have, I may have, I may have convinced myself, well, he's an adult, you know, the master's doing some funky things he can't, you know, control, but these are two consenting adults. That wasn't why I left. Why I left is because this smarmy little bastard went behind his back and blamed it all on him. And so I, and there was another guy in the room who was, uh, he was also an elder and he was abused. Now the story comes out about him. So now I'm hearing it, boom, <laughs> like, okay. So I looked at him, I looked at this guy and he looked at me and we knew this was it. This was the line in the sand, we're out of here. So when I left, that rumor started to fly. Now, when an elder leaves suddenly, that's noticeable. That's really noticeable. I'm not some newbie that comes and goes, right? I have been there every single night for 20 some odd years, right? So when I'm missing, people are gonna ask, hey, where's Radia, right? And so it was, it was another elder that came to me and said, I know you're in your mind. So she's trying to talk me into coming back and whatever's happening, you know. I said, I'm not in my mind, I left. This was Danielle in the film. And Danielle was kind of getting fed up with him too. And I said, do you want to know the truth? And she said, yes. I said, okay, here's a red pill and a blue pill. Yes. Which do you want? Because if I tell you the red pill, it's going to change your life. She said, give me the red pill. So I told her the story. She got furious. So she goes and she tells another elder. So now think of this as members of the Senate. Okay. So Liz Cheney and, you know, Adam Kissinger just told some other peers, right? And instead, they got pissed. So all of a sudden, one after the other, like dominoes, it just, bam, it hit within a day, you started seeing all these big tiered elders disappearing, right? So very shortly thereafter, an email came out. And the email was the whole sordid little story of everything and everyone and, and how he was a fraud and how his names were changed and how blah, blah, blah. So here's this email that comes out. If the elders in mass did not leave, no matter what that email said, it would have never flown. Fake news. Yeah. That's what's happening in this country. I, exactly. That, that's it's fake news. So he didn't have the kind of propaganda mill that Donald Trump has. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have the reinforcement of that message being false. So we had at this point enough where it, it, it happened. And then one guy who was a, a real kind of violent dick went into the, the teacher's room with a baseball bat and he threatened him and he got in his face and he smashed up his room in front of him. And he said, I'm going to, and this guy was really rich. And he said, I'm going to follow you for the rest of your life. And if I ever hear you've done this, when I come back, there will be blood. And I'll tell you, I'm rich enough. You're going to put me in jail. And he says, and I'm rich enough. I'll be out the next day. And it'll be on every news feed from here to New York. And that was the final straw. And he fled like a, you know, like a frightened dog. He was out of Austin in one day. So the entire thing fell apart in Austin in a matter of days. But it was a combination of a, a group, not one or two, because if one or two Liz Cheney's had left, like if I had just left and nobody went with me, then I, would, I did get ostracized and demonized anyway, but at least it wasn't just me. Now it was this huge group of elders. So now, now the, the lower rungs were starting to pay attention because it wasn't some aspirant or some person who had a disgruntled, it was his top tiers 
who were going, no, this is bullshit. This is what's happening. And people were saying, and next thing you know, or actually I'm getting phone calls. Now it's coming out like crazy. And all the guys who were abused, they heard and they called me and said, I, I need to talk to you. So now we have this Me Too movement, right? Mm -hmm. yes, all absolutely. of a sudden, everybody who had been holding these secrets for years, now that that one guy had the balls to not go for it and to walk out, he's the one that was the catalyst to start this thing. And can, can we do it? Uh, it's a little bit more complex in this country because of Fox News and AON and these propaganda mills that keep this this story alive. And even when the movie Holy Hell came out, he told there were people who followed him to Hawaii still, and he still, still to this day, still to this day. That now, after a while, they they dropped off after after it was exposed. They went with him. Even Will Allen, the filmmaker, went with him for a few years, moved to Hawaii with him. And demonized everybody. He didn't speak to me for years. And his sister didn't, who was my best friend and business partner, she didn't speak to me for years. I was out. I was demonized. But there was a there was a seed that was planted in their head. So now they're looking at him differently than they've ever looked at him before. Yes. And that, that they've got a little bit of a seed. So yeah. anything he does or says, now they've got this sort of shadow on him. So eventually they did leave, but there's still people there today, 15 years later, that are still with him. And he started the group up again. When the film came out, we went to Hawaii. I went to the Q&A in Hawaii and the premiere. That was interesting. They even had security there because uh, he sent some of his minions to the theater. And what he had told people is don't go see the film. It's fake news. Mm -hmm and that it's all a lie. And CNN bought the film. And of course they went to him and said, do you have a comment on this? And he said, just like Trump, fake news mm -hmm. is not real. And he was, oh, he was very contrite. He said, it just hurts me so bad that we had such a beautiful loving community and these people just wanted to destroy it. Yeah, okay. So that's how it happened. <laughs> I, I think this reminds me of the, the metaphor of the frog in, in water. So when, when it's it's just kind of there's this slight abuses, but you take it for granted and you go along and it gradually increases and you don't realize that the, the, the water is boiling. And yeah. um, you don't you don't have that line anymore because you've gone so far into it. Yes. And so yes. when I, I, I keep thinking of Zimbardo's uh, prison experiment, uh, when they went along, they pretended he Zimbardo was the um, uh, was running a prison supposedly for mm -hmm. again this is for as an experiment a psychological test. But then we had the guards and we had the prisoners, and it went along uh, okay for a while until one person couldn't take it, one of the prisoners. Uh, supposed prisoners of course and then they had a new guy come in kind of midstream and so i found this fascinating because when this new guy came in he says wait a minute this is wrong this is this can't be happening how how come you let this happen how do you let them abuse you in this way and so it's that fresh perspective but because you haven't been in it you think it's perfectly perfectly normal Yes. We have the same in families too, dysfunctional families. When you're growing up, you think that it is normal that you get hit and beaten and so on. Or yes. if you have it, if you get beaten at school in certain countries, you say, well, that's the way to do it. But yes. then it's that outside perspective where you say, no, this cannot be, this is wrong. Yes, well, it, it, but it, the thing is, is that it's usually the, out, the outside perspective, even in Zimbardo's work, that had to be somebody who was in a place of power to do that. Exactly. Because I, I will tell you that in our group, we certainly had newbies come and go and they would say, oh, this is off. This is wrong. And we would just shun them. We would just, you know, yeah. so it had to be from the top tiers that you already trusted, you already believed, you already followed, because when you're following him, you're also following us. Okay. But, but then you created that crack by, by not falling as an elder. So that that yes. crack, that, that seed of doubt is something yes. that could 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 break uh, these kind of organizations. Yes, but if I wasn't an, if I wasn't an elder, I don't think I could have done that. Yeah. I had but, to be in a play, I had to be in a position of power 
to do that. I think we've and been that's, yeah, I think we've been in a similar situation with with the U.S. specifically because we are we are kind of being groomed from the beginning. This these ideas of like fake news and then this is not true and like alternative uh, reality and alternate reality gaslighting, yeah, and gaslighting. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of like that frog in the water. It's been the temperature has been increasing, but we haven't stopped it in time. We didn't speak out. We didn't do anything. A lot of us, a lot of people, yeah. including here media influential people, like you say, the senators, they saw it yeah. coming, but they did nothing. And at this yes. point, it's it's almost too late because we've gotten it so is accustomed to this way of thinking that we have uh, anti-vaxxers today who are comparing themselves to, to uh, the, the Holocaust and, anti, uh, and concentration camps and that they're being persecuted for their beliefs when none of this applies to the reality of the situation. Yeah, it is. Uh very complex. And, you know, when you are, I mean, if you look at his followers, you know, and I, I talk about it in the third section of my book, there's three kinds of basic three kinds of followers. So you've got your, what I refer to as the, uh, the hummingbirds. The hummingbirds are people that are, they, they don't really know what they want, but they're not happy with what they got. The Trump voters who said, I don't really like Trump, but I don't like Clinton, right? So, you know, he, he seems fresh. He seems like a fresh idea. That's a hummingbird. They haven't really looked into him or Clinton or anything else. But yeah, I just want to shake it up. I want something different. You know, I'm going to move away from the traditional parties and I'm going to be an independent, right? And so you've got your hummingbirds and you've got them in, in spiritual communities where they're not fully committed. So as I say, there's that line in the sand, but there's a lot of little gray lines before you get to that line. For the hummingbirds, those lines are pretty short. And, and as soon as it gets weird, you're out, right? Then you have your second type, which the soldiers on, the, on a mission. I was a soldier on a mission. I was looking for God realization from the time I was 14 years old. And what he was offering was that, okay? So I am willing, and I refer to us in a way as like Navy SEALs of spirituality. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if the goal is to transcend your ego to have total union with God, then anything, any question, anything is ego. So there's where that trap lies, right? Now I use um, I use an example which in this chapter that is entitled um, "The Mother of All Cults." This is the evangelists, the evangelicals. Okay, this is the family. This is Jeff Shardle's. You know, I I wish that the media would bring Jeff Shardle on more than they have. He wrote two books and did a documentary called The Family. People do not understand that what is happening in our country on the surface, it looks like oligarchs, it looks like this and that. No, it is a theocracy. And the major power players are evangelical Christians that are members of the family. And they don't have to be evangelical Christians to be members of the family. You need to look into those books, The Family and C Street. Uh, this organization has taken 80 years to infiltrate all three branches of our government. All of the people that voted against uh, Biden, all of the members of the Senate, they're all members of the family. Okay, so this is a very dangerous stealth cult that is going on. This is the seedy underbelly of the three branches of government. So at who they packed into our Supreme Court, all members. And they are all on a theocratic mission. They are on a mission for God, which I think is far more dangerous because, because again, very similar to the film that, that you were talking about or we, were, we started with, um, they really, when God is this nebulous kind of belief system that is, you can't prove or disprove, these people, and many Christians for sure, literally think that there's this God up there that sees everything that you do. He's watching you, right? Like Santa Claus, he knows whether you're naughty or nice. 
And so they, they literally have this image of themselves being fully righteous, doing the work of this God that is watching everything they do. So their goal is to create a kingdom on earth. And Judge Barrett made that statement. You know, this is what their mission is. Well, what's kingdom on earth? I mean, that's, that's undefinable. It's defined any way they want to define it. But that's a, that's a soldier on a mission that is, has infiltrated our government in, in an extreme way. Then another kind of soldier on a mission are there just pure driven by greed, greed and power. Those are the Mitch McConnells. Those are the, those are the filthy, filthy rich that have ultimate power and wealth. That's also a soldier on a mission. It's a little bit easier to penetrate a little bit because when you think that you're a soldier of God, that's the highest tier. That's like, you know, when you think you're this, you know, you're one of the apostles and that's how they see themselves and they're on this divine mission, they are the American Taliban. They are the American ISIS and they will kill and they will do horrible things to create their vision of what the kingdom on earth is. So the, the, the liberals are the infidels, okay? And they will do whatever they can. So that's very, very dangerous. The third kind is the kamikazes. Now they're all interchangeable, but the kamikazes are those who will die or kill for the leader. Those are the ones, those are the Jim Jones, the, the Manson, the, you know, uh, the, the people. And, and like I said, it's a thin line. It's a thin line between the, um, the hummingbirds who get caught up in, in mass, you know, group think, such as what happened in January 6th. Quite honestly, if they had the opportunity, they were literally minutes away from hanging the vice president. And that was a massive mob mentality. I don't think that, that other than the Proud Boys and whatever, the rest of those boneheads got caught up in, in mob mentality to the point that they would have gone over the line to being a kamikaze. They would have, if they could have gotten to Nancy Pelosi, they would have murdered her, mass murdered her. And when they say, oh, that's not true. They were just good tourists, right? Yeah, that's why they hung a gallows up there. And believe me, that was the Lord of the Flies moment. That was when that mass group think stimulates all of those groups into mayhem and murder. And that definitely, we were, we were pretty darn close. You know, it was it was very scary what was happening, mm -hmm. and still the aftermath, and like trying to 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 solve the to to find ways of protecting ourselves from it repeating again or getting worse. But I'm I'm wondering what can we do as individuals? What can can each person do to avoid this kind of tendency to fall into that trap? To to be led to be uh, to fall into conformity with others when they're doing uh, horrendous things. What can we do to protect ourselves from it? Well, first of all, you know, one has to be careful of words like cult, brainwashed, etc. Those words can be used as tools, like most of these words. Most of these words, when you use words like anti-vaxxer, that's a word. That's that's a put up the hand. I don't want to talk. Antifa, right? Uh, radical left, radical right. You know, these are pejorative epithets that are weapons. There, there, there's no conversation there. If you're in that group, that's who you are. I've identified you and I don't want to hear anything about you because I already have a preconceived notion of who you are and what you believe. So that's very dangerous. We, and I, I do talk about in my book, I have a chapter called words that bind and words that blind. Okay. These are deliberate manipulations of our mind. And you know, there's a lot of really great books. Uh, uh, Dark Money, great book by Jane Mayer. She talks about how this phenomenon has occurred and it occurred, it started with the libertarians and the libertarians became the Tea Party and the Tea Party became the MAGA crowd. Who's behind it? 
the elite. It's, there's, there's no politicians behind it. The politicians are puppets. But what can we do as, as individuals? The, I mean, it's not just a matter recognize of these words. Not, okay, that's a good point. That's recognize good. these words and stop using them. Mm -hmm. Stop just using them as a weapon or to say, I don't want to hear what you have to say, right? Now that's difficult when, when you're talking about, you know, uh, baby eating pedophiles because it's so extreme that you go, please, I can't even talk to you. Uh, by the way, you know where that came from? Where the QAnon, you know, the, the Satan worshiping baby eating pedophiles mm -hmm. came from? You know where that came from? Probably a teenager somewhere created it or well it was it was disseminated by a teenager but uh, yeah. that that story almost verbatim was created by a russian fascist in 1902 and it became part of the dogma in mein kampf and it became the belief of the germans and this is how they could execute 11 million people because what they did was they turned them into non-human beings what is QAnon doing they're turning them turning anybody who they don't like or any liberal into a lizard who is a satan worshiping baby eating pedophile those words that phrase that that concept is verbatim these idiots that sent out the message through 4chan and whatever they plagiarized that they didn't even change it at all. It is the same. If you go and look it up and where it came from, I quoted it in my book. And this is what a, a Russian fascist created in order to, the reason why we can do heinous things like genocide is when we don't see them as human beings. That's why yeah, we can't. We dehumanize we, others. And, so, and the so lack that's, of empathy too. That, that's... That's a thing that you have to be careful with. Watch the words. Watch, watch the dehumanization of, watch the us and the them, right? When, when, you, when you find your herd and you hold on to your herd and then you, you point at everybody else, be really careful of that because but it's often more being... complicated too because of like because it's it's polarized more and then that certain these actions have effects on others it's not just the belief systems we're talking about actions and especially in today's world so when you choose not to do something you choose to do something it has repercussions so in that sense i think we should judge that and we should stand up and say you know what what you're doing your belief I'm not going into it, but your actions are going to harm others. So I think we, we have to be also clear about that. And it's it's not just stigmatizing, but it's also I, looking at facts. And so this is the reality. And I so agree. when people say, okay, fake news and so on, I say, well, let's look at it. Is it fake or is it real? Because there is, of course, false information that we're being fed, but there's also a lot of truth. And so when also you have the big lie, and I think while the big lie itself, it's kind of like meta, it's also a big lie in of itself. And so yes. so it's it's that kind of complexity that we have to call out. I think that's really important to call it out. Well, I, you know, I really cover all of that in my book. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really, really go into that in depth, but I think you know, I, the, the other day we were talking, a friend of mine and I were talking about um, the expression, uh, money is the root of all evil. And then we talked about really actually the, the word is love of money is the root of all evil. I like and, that. If you, and if you break it down even further of how it was interpreted, love of money uh, equates to greed right? So greed is the root of all evil. Um, and I, I think that Jesus was on to something when he said that, but I think he, he should have added one more thing to that. Greed and ignorance. And ignorance doesn't mean you're stupid or uneducated. It comes from the root word to ignore, <laughs> right? So greed and ignorance is the root of all evil. And I, and I will tell you this, example i had a friend uh, she's a friend i mean she she comes in she she comes into the pharmacy to 
she respects me, she respects my opinion, etc. She came in to talk to me about, you know, COVID and, and other things. And then out of the blue, she said, well, the socialists are systematically killing us. That's a really powerful statement. Really, systematically killing us. How's that? I said, you know what a socialist is? She said, no. So you're repeating something like a parrot, right? And, and I see these memes and I see all this stuff on Facebook. You're repeating something you don't even know what it's about. And she just sort of, you know, kind of looked at me. And I said, uh, you're on social security, aren't you? Yes. You take Medicare? Yes. I said, that's socialism. I said, you see that street out there? Yeah, that public road, that's socialism. And the public lights there and the cop that just drove by and the EMS and the public school. That's socialism. And she just looked at me and went, oh. Okay, so if I hadn't challenged her and just let her just, just, just vomit out whatever, you know, and let that be repeated over and over again, which is what they want you to do, without even knowing what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. It's like two parents getting into an argument. <laughs> exactly. She, did, she didn't even know what she was saying. And yeah. I confronted her. I just said, well, I said, well, that's interesting. That's a powerful statement. What's socialism? That's all I had to do. And she, she had no answer. And I said, well, at least you've got the, the, the courage to say, I don't know, you know, because most people will say, wow, well, and they have no idea. Right? They would not but, engage in a conversation. They would just no, like they close won't. off and break down. And, yeah. which, which is a challenge. But yeah. this is where we where you say, well, we have to challenge them wherever yes. we can. Well, there are those that, that exactly. will let you, depending on what your relationship is with them. I have to, because of my fiery temperament, <laughs> I, you know, I have to, uh, especially, you know, when I'm dealing with, these are clients of mine, I have to be respectful and professional and I can't get emotional without wanting to slap the stupid out of this person, right? I, I really have to understand this person doesn't know what she's saying. And so what they've done is they've managed to terrify her and I said to her, I said, wow, systematically kill us. That must be very terrifying. So I had to first relate to what, what she was feeling when she was saying that. Oh, they're systematically killing us, the socialists. You know, really? Oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess I'm one of them then. Do I, do you come to me for advice all the time? Do I look like I'm systematically killing you? Well, she's like, no. I said, then be careful what you say. Because somebody else is going to hear what you say, and the next person is going to hear it, and it's going to be operator, you know, that game. So this is very dangerous, you know, and, and when you've got media, when you've got idiots like Tucker Carlson, whatever, or they'll say, they'll say, oh, it's the same on both sides. Is it? You know, because here's the thing about facts, they're checkable, right? So when the liar in chief, Donald Trump, who has literally 33,000 verifiable lies in his presidency, 33,000, I said, politicians lie, come on, they do. They twist the truth. They've got to be, they got to look good. You know, they can't, they can't afford whatever. So they'll pivot and they'll do these different games. But when you ball face lie that many, 33,000 checkable lies, that's pretty, pretty frightening. But, you know, so that's what's happened in the last five years. We've, we've been spoon fed the masses who don't read. They don't actually pay attention to much of anything. They get on their, you know, they get in their little Facebook and their little echo chambers. We all have echo chambers. I have my favorite echo chamber, except for, I may say, well, I'm looking at my echo chamber. Oh, stop, <laughs> you know, like just stop having such a freaking attitude. You know, I don't like that because it used to be, you're a little young, but back in my day, news was a half an hour in the evening and that was it, you know, and you had Huntley Brinkley or whomever who just put out facts and that was it. And you went on your merry way. You went to the other 13 channels you had. 
Um, but nowadays, you know, news is 24 seven and they have to keep that circus going. So they have to get, you know, people in there who vomit out their opinions. And some of them I like, some of them I'm quite interested in hearing their opinion. If they are a prosecuting attorney and they're being consulted with on a particular issue, I want to hear, yeah, tell me what the law is. You know, is this a go? Is it, is it not? Um, so I don't mind, you know, some of the experts that are on there that are, that are talking about these facts or not. But, you know, when you get, when you get just pundits who are just in there jacking off, which is all they're doing, and they're getting paid $16 million a year to do it, you know, that's pretty, another woman came in to me the other day. She said, well, Biden is just filthy rich and he's just doing it off all the taxpayers. And I said, really, how much is he worth? Well, millions. Oh, well, let's just do a little fact check. He is worth $8 million and he gets paid 400,000 as president. And he made those millions during his vice, during the Trump years, when he was out of office as vice president on speaking tours. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, that's not true. I don't believe that. Well, that's the problem then. Okay. <laughs> what do you do, do with that? Yeah, it's, exactly. it's checkable, you know, it's verifiable. Um, you know, so so that's the thing. We're we're in a we're in a real clusterfuck here, Raj. I mean, you know, we're in a lot of trouble. What do you do with that? You know? Well, I would suggest reading your book, The Followers. And, uh, and thank you for, for being here. Thank you for sharing your insights. And it's, it's put, it put things into perspective, especially about this like traumatizing series that I saw. And it's now I'm thinking about it differently. And I, I again, try to also empathize with the people who are trapped in it. And even the ones who are doing harm because they are trapped in different ways as well. Yeah. But thank you so much for, for, for sharing your experiences for your book again, The Followers. And always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks, Arash. Take I care. love it too. All right, dear. Have a great evening. You have a great evening. Thanks.